Welcome to episode 20 of the bonus series of the Geared for Growth Property Investing Podcast, where we talk to the experts and get them to share their top tips on how to achieve exceptional results in the property sector. We at MCG are passionate about taking the mystery out of property investing. This podcast is designed for anybody interested in investing, whether you're looking to buy your first property or you're a veteran property investor with multiple properties to your name. We believe there's always something more to learn and who better to learn from than the people who are in the game. On this podcast, you'll hear from buyers, agents, mortgage brokers, strata managers, accountants, and many other professionals, all sharing their insider knowledge. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, and I'm excited to be sharing this time with you. If you love this podcast, click the subscribe button so you'll never miss another episode. Today, I'd like to turn our attention to a very important topic. We've spoken about where to buy and how to finance, but if we're really serious about optimizing the returns from our investments, we really need to think about how we structure the purchase. Should we be buying as individuals or in partnerships? Should we we be setting up a trust or looking to buy through our super fund? And what difference does it all make? Now, it might sound like a pretty dry and complex topic, but have no fear because joining me to talk through this minefield are none other than the two drunk accountants, Tim Garth and Dan Osborne. Don't let the name of the podcast fool you. Tim and Garth are directors of Cats Accountants and very well versed in breaking down the jargon to help business owners and investors alike alike, navigate their financial journeys. Welcome back to the show, Tim and Dan. Tim and Dan, thanks for joining me back again on the Geared for Growth podcast. Thanks for having us. I had probably the most fun I can remember being interviewed on on your podcast and interviewing you guys on mine in sort of like it was, you know, it was this kind of shady sort of deal where, you know, I'll come on yours, you come on mine and, you know, like (laughs) money exchanges under the table. We had a lot of fun and we did it in person, whereas, you know, I hate to bring it up now. Um, it's just a shame people can't see how long your hair's grown, um, Tim. But you know, <laughs> lockdown's really affected us all. It has, it has. Yes. But it is, it is nice to see you guys remotely, and uh, and you guys, of course, the two drunk accountants. Uh, check out your episode on Geared for Growth, where we did uh, go into a bit more detail in uh, in into the who is the Tim and Dan. But for mm. this particular episode, we're we're zeroing in on the property investing journey from start to finish, and you guys are obviously accounting gurus and one thing that I notice a lot of property investors uh, do is they go to their accountant and they say at tax time surprise I bought another property and then the accountant puts their head in their hands Um, why is that an upsetting conversation to to have with someone after the fact Dan I'll leave it to you to start (laughs) this one well, I'd like to start by saying thank you for calling us gurus. And, and with Tim's with Tim's hair the way it is, it's never been a, a more uh, appropriate description. I can see him in the like lotus a, position. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't put in the man bun for you today. Oh, Sorry. Yeah. Disappointing. Disappointing. Sure. Um, but yeah, it, it can be it can be frustrating because uh, they can have done it completely wrong, or they could have saved themselves uh, huge headaches later on just by having a bit of a conversation with us beforehand and asking, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about buying this property. What are some things I should be considering? And if it's their yeah. second property, you might have said, it's fine to purchase in your personal name. They go, oh, well, last time, you know, like Tim said, put in my personal name, so that must be true. But there's points where the advice changes because of, you know, the difference of having 
double the properties in the portfolio, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm. uh, each each individual purchase is is different, and your circumstances when you buy one is different from when you buy the next one. It's the same as starting a business and, and structuring. You know, each time you do it, it's a different set of considerations that need to be thought of, and and adding these things together, as you said, creates its own things you need to consider. Um, yeah. But yeah, each time you do it, you need to reconsider how you've got it set up. Uh, it's really important. There's so many different ways to do it. Every property is different. Every uh, structure is different. Every moment in your life is different. Um, so it just needs to be considered. As we've seen as well, the government's always changing their rules. And it's mm. not just the federal government, it's the state governments as well, where you might be buying your property. So there's a lot to consider and it's a moving, moving space. So mm. yeah, that's why as an accountant, you know, we get left out of all sorts of things. We don't get invited to parties. We don't have friends. <laughs> but at least tell us when you're going to buy a property. That would be really nice. It's the, yeah. minute, the bare minimum. Yeah, hasn't the government uh, really hit the counters for six over the last couple of years? I mean, you guys look like you've, you've aged 20 years. Um, <laughs> maybe it's a Zoom filter that, that I'm not sort of hip to. Uh, no, I'm, but, I'm yeah. the touch-up filter on. I meant to look better right oh, now. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. No, you need to touch that up a little bit more. Um, so talk us through what... What are the different structures that people can purchase an investment property in? Yeah, so there's there's definitely a few ways you can do it. You can you can if you're an individual and you don't have a partner, you can buy it as an individual. And that is probably the most common way. Or um, or you can also buy it in partnership. You don't have to set up a partnership to do it, but uh, it'd be you and your um, business partner that you might be in this venture with buying properties or you and your spouse. So um, those are the two most common. Then there's also um, a trust uh, and a company. So those are other options and, and the company as we'll probably get into discussing a bit further um, is not really an option, but I just put it out there because it is an entity type. And, uh, and then there's another one I wouldn't mind going into a little bit further here, uh, which is super fund. Yes. Too. Yes. Okay. So let's let's go to to say personal versus trust versus super fund, and we'll get rid of uh, company because you've just absolutely bashed that. Yeah. When, when you talk <laughs> it's about <a> bad idea, <laughs> when you talk about um, a partnership, we're talking about um, tenants in in common rather than say a, a commercial entity partnership. Yeah. Correct. So not registering an ABN, um, not running it like a business basically jointly owning that property together as individuals. Yep. Yep. And if you snuff it, you can bequeath your share to somebody. Whereas if you're husband and wife, you might sort of just have it automatically passed to the other party. Yeah. And I think that depends on whether or not you buy it as, you know, tenants in common versus um, what's the word is escaping right now. Joint tenants. Yeah. Where Mm -hmm. it's where you either jointly own it and one dies and the other one gets the rest of it or, uh, your portion can then be, as you said, passed on to someone else or sold to someone else. Mm. And let's let's to to avoid the sort of confusion there. Let's think about just an individual buying a property themselves. Um, yep. One of the key advantages would be for tax minimization, right? So if you're on the big biscuits, you buy a let's say a negatively geared uh, property, which is getting actually harder and harder these days, but. Let's say you buy mm-hmm. something in Sydney with a 1.8% yield and you're mm-hmm. off to the races. Your big income starts coming down. Is that the biggest advantage for chucking it in your own name? 
Yeah, when we, whenever we talk about entity structuring and this is purchasing a property or starting a business, there's usually two main considerations that we talk about and that's tax and asset protection slash risk. Um, so on the tax side of things, if we're comparing these structures, um, the main things are going to be yeah, really what you're talking about is your yield from that property each year, the income that's being added from the rent that, that you're receiving or being reduced because of uh, negative gearing. Um, but the other consideration is also capital gains. There's concessions mm. for capital gains. Mm. And then there's state taxes. You know, you're looking at stamp duty or you're looking at land tax. So there's a lot of tax considerations. So mm. negative gearing, everyone loves it. Everyone says, great, I'm going to, re- you know, reduce my, um, <laughs> reduce my income, pay some less tax. I always say, uh, make sure you're not actually just losing money on that property because, mm. <laughs> you know, I- I'd rather a property that makes money, uh, to be honest. Mm. Uh, which is a controversial stance for an accountant. Oh, yeah. I understand. Um, People are so excited to to lose money so they can negatively gear. The only person yeah. I don't, that I know that just doesn't love it, I think, is Bill Shorten. Um, and, and you know, well, didn't well, he it, get it, a it, smack on the bottom for not being on the <laughs> NG train? It, it makes it makes sense when when you've got um, you know you're making really good use of depreciation. Uh, and, and and you're saving some tax and you're doing it that way. But if you're just losing money, it doesn't make any sense. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so let's, let's start with that negative gearing. As an individual, you can apply your losses on a rental against your other income that you earn, say as a salary and wages or, or business or other investments that you've got. So if you are earning a lot of money and you're in those higher tax brackets and you make a loss on that property, it can reduce the amount of tax you've got to pay, which mm-hmm. is great. Uh, as a trust you actually can't distribute a loss. So there's mm. no such thing as negative gearing. Uh, it's carried forward losses. Mm. Um, so if you make a profit in the future, that loss will be carried forward forever until you make a profit? Yep, that's right. You, you can't actually distribute that loss to you as an individual to then apply against your salaries and wages. Yep, yep. So there are some tax circumstances where that really does work. You've got... Um, other investments which are making excellent profits and to protect those you decided to set those up in a trust big tick for you you've done a really good thing there well done um, then you're deciding okay I want to diversify I would also like a property in the mix here it just so happens that you like the thought of negative gearing and you've got some profits to offset against there perhaps uh, a tax effective um, way to do that would be to buy that property in the trust. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So in, in my first example, you didn't have any other investments in that trust. It's, it's sole asset was this investment property. Yep. And mm. for those of you who don't know how a trust works at the end of a year, um, it doesn't pay tax itself. It distributes its taxable profit to its beneficiaries mm. uh, and they pay tax. So um, if you were hoping to offset that against your income, you can't, but if you have other income in the trust, then yeah, you can. Mm. So you can also have family members as part of, say, a family trust that you can assign an on-paper value to. Um, There's thresholds with that because I think a lot of people get excited about just having as many children as they can to minimise their tax payable. But, you know, how effective is that? Not very if they're a minor. Um, Essentially, it's not worth distributing anything to your kids. It's like 450 bucks or something. It's not much. Kids yeah. cost how much do kids cost that? to raise these days? Honestly, yeah. like that's 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 an afternoon's bread consumption in my house. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so I guess the other side of this though is if, if you didn't have a negatively geared property, let's say it was positive 
positively geared. You're making a profit on it. If you held that individually, it's going to add to your income and you're going to have tax to pay at a higher marginal rate if you're a high income earner. If you've got that same property in the trust, uh, you can, as you said, distribute that profit to other people in your family. As long as they're over 18, um, you can distribute as much as you want. So if you've got older kids who are, say, at uni, they're not really working, you might be supporting them through that. Um, Yeah, you can distribute your entire profit to them. And if they have no other income, there'll be no tax to pay on that. Um, that's that's the benefit of having a trust when you're making a profit on a property. And I suppose, you, sorry, Tim. Well, I'll, I'll let you finish. I was just going to say, and I think Dan's hit the nail on the head there. I suppose with all of this stuff, and this is coming back to your first question, Mike. Um, why we get upset when people don't call us when they've bought mm-hmm. another property? Uh, because it needs to be part of a bigger plan and a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And so, if your kids are approaching eighteen. Um, then there may be ways to benefit from it. And just, just yeah. to double check on that too, we're talking about distributing on paper, right? We're not, we don't actually have to give it to them. <laughs> well, technically you do have to cash it. Uh, they could turn around and say, I want that money that you have put in my tax return for the past couple of years. But you could also probably easily say that, yeah, I also paid for your food and your rent and your <laughs> mm. uh, textbooks and some uni stuff and, um, you know, you have received that money, but uh, but let's say you, you distribute money to your 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 parent um, who is retired and and not earning much income, and and you save some tax there. They could legally turn around and say, "Hey, that ten grand you've been distributing to me each year is actually owed to me." Oh, wouldn't that ruin Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> that's awkward. Yeah, there needs to be, a, and that, I always like to say that's why it's called a trust. There needs to be a fair bit of trust with whoever <laughs> a, you distribute the income to. That's, that's a good one, Tim. Um, <laughs> so let's 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 focus on the on the tax. So we understand the the benefits for being an individual and for the trust. What about if we talk about super fund? How does tax work in a super fund structure? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximize their claims and maximize their property education as well. Yeah. So um, I think a lot of people know about self-managed super funds. Um, They know that it saves you tax. Um, Perhaps they don't really know the exact reasons why though. So uh, first and foremost, your superannuation fund pays tax on its income at a concessional rate. So it's a lower rate than any other entity. Um, So it's it's taxed at 15% uh, in the dollar on every dollar of profit made in the super fund, which is really good. Mm. Uh, As an individual, when you're earning over $20,000, you're paying tax at 19% in the dollar. Yeah, so the lowest possible marginal tax rate for an individual, once you start earning enough to actually pay tax, is higher than what the super fund pays tax. Mm. Okay, So it's very, very concessionally taxed. Mm. Putting your money into super, you also get to claim a tax deduction for that. And that could be done at your highest marginal rate. So if you're 
um, if you're going for that negative gearing approach as that high income earner, well, maybe you could actually just be uh, putting a bit more money into super for you or, or your spouse who might have a lower income um, and or your children. Um, if they're grown up and earning income as well, they could be claiming tax deductions for putting money into their super as well. Um, but then the real benefit is when you reach retirement age or preservation age, as the ATO would call it. Lovely. And uh, <laughs> I'm not sure why they call it preservation age because you're probably getting past your due date by then, really. But um, Modern Madison uh, is preserving you. <laughs> okay, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so once you reach that age, they actually uh, allow you to um, not pay any tax uh, potentially on the income that accrues to your super or your portion of the self-managed super fund um, that belongs to you. So that's that's your balance as a percentage of the total balance in the self-managed super fund. Uh, up to um, a certain cap. Up to a certain cap, which is $1.6 million dollars around about per person. But yeah, essentially you could be making tax-free income once you've reached retirement mm. age or preservation age mm. and switched over into a pension. Yeah, that's right. You could even sell that property as assuming it's less than, than the balance that we're talking about uh, and make a gain on that. And if you're in uh, pension mode, uh, then you wouldn't be paying tax on the sale of that property either. Mm-hmm. So on no the flip side, gains. if you're an individual... Uh, you, you could be, if you make a capital gain of $400,000, you could be paying tax at the top marginal rate. In a super fund, you could be paying no tax potentially. Yeah, and as an individual, you get your CGT exemption if you're holding onto it for a certain point. So it cuts it in half and then it's just the marginal rate, but it's still a lot more than nothing. Um, yeah. How does that work in a, in a family trust for CGT if you're selling an asset in the family trust? Almost exactly the same as an individual. Um, right. You get the CGT concession as well because you're, as, you as an individual are the one paying tax. So that's why you still get that concession for holding it for more than 12 months. Yep. Um, and this, this is the, basically the sole reason why you wouldn't have it in a company. Right. Because there is no concessions, no uh, general discount for holding that asset. For, so you're just paying tax on the entire profit. Um, mm-hmm. There are yeah. some other small business concessions and a few other bits and pieces, but but you'd have to be in business, not just holding investments in the company. Yes, and the ATO's got all sorts of interpretive decisions about you know the business of running an investment portfolio and it's it's a pretty hard thing to to qualify you can't just sort of have two or three properties and go well it takes up a shit ton of my time so that's my business mm, yeah. <laughs> recently i even looked into subdividing a property and building uh, a house on that subdivision and that in its in and of itself is just a nightmare mm. so yeah there's a it's a tax minefield for some of those things so what about asset protection so uh, if you're buying a property in your own name, what what are the risks? What can happen to you if you say own a business or you accidentally drive your car into someone's living room? Like what <laughs> what can go wrong? Yeah, well, just, I love how you say that so calmly as well. <laughs> <laughs> Just like running a business um, in your own name, uh, owning assets in your own name can be a risk. Uh, if, for instance, you do have a business and someone sues you or you go bankrupt or, or for whatever reason, um, you become, you know, you owe a lot of money financially somewhere, um, your assets are, are up for grabs. And that includes any investment properties that you own. So if, if you 
you know, racked up this huge ATO debt and they send you under and uh, you owe a, sorry, you owe several hundred thousand dollars and you have an investment property worth several hundred thousand dollars. Well, there you go. They're going to sell mm-hmm. it. Um, that is the risk of, of owning assets in your own name is that uh, any liabilities that you come up for, or even if something happens with the property, it's the other way around. Any other assets that you own um, could be up for grabs to, to pay for those liabilities. Mm. Mm. Which begs the question, why wouldn't you just purchase every property in a trust is it is it you know is there a cost evolved in involved in the trust that makes it prohibitive yeah with with any entity structure it's always a matter of considering your costs and benefit so for someone who is in a low risk employment role um and is very unlikely to incur debts or um be sued and go bankrupt then it potentially is cheaper and just as tax effective to buy an investment property with their spouse Mm -hmm. or partner or family member, whoever it may be. Um, But for someone who has a bit more complex matters, um, maybe a bit more risky of an employment position, then um, and perhaps they're looking to continue on the journey of buying more and more investments, Well, then the cost of setting up a trust, which uh, in New South Wales, stamping a trust alone is $500. So it it is significant. The cost of uh, setting up a trust and maintaining it year on year, because you have to lodge a tax return for that trust Mm -hmm. then as well, don't forget, um, will potentially outweigh the risk of the assets being under your name personally. um, And then you get tax flexibility as well. Mm, Okay. Yeah. And, and the other part, you know, in a trust, you've got to look at um, implications for land tax. Every state is different, but just for example, in New South Wales, you get um, uh, certain exemptions up to certain limits, um, whereas trusts do not. Uh, yes. you, yeah. you end up paying more for land tax potentially. Um, that's why a lot of people who want to buy their own, you know, main residence in a trust, it's a bad idea because you get it completely exempt Um in, in your own name, whereas in a trust, you don't. Um, every state is a little bit different, but but trusts end up being a bit trickier when it comes to land tax. Um, and then there's also just other complications that, that make it more costly to maintain every year, um, which would outweigh any risks, as Tim was saying, for someone who just, you know, is an employee somewhere, has a steady job, they're a teacher, and, and they've bought an investment property with their spouse. Um, there's probably no need to look into the trust at that point. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I guess land tax is probably a whole other episode. Um, that's yeah. that's going to be a hard one to sort of pitch as clickbait. Like everything you need <laughs> to know about land tax with the two drunk accountants. I mean, that maybe that's going to save us. Like, you know, these guys are going to have a bit of fun, hopefully. So let's say you do drive your car into someone's living room and you have got investment properties in a trust. I mean, the ATO and, and sort of a legal eagle can go, you know, guys, I can see that you've got this family trust. I'm assuming you guys are brothers in this hypothetical. Um, mm. I don't know who would have driven the car um, through the land. I'm guessing Tim, the hair probably got in the yeah. eyes. Um, <laughs> surely that – so how, how bulletproof is this family trust? They can see that you own it and they can probably see the entities within it. What stops them getting their greasy little mitts on it? It's well, a good question. Mm. As long as you've set it up correctly – uh, generally speaking, and that would usually be with a corporate trustee. So you've set up a company that's the trustee of this trust that that um, essentially runs it for you. Um, 
that they shouldn't be able to do it um, because it is owned by a separate legal entity. You actually own the shares in that trustee company, but but it typically doesn't have a value because so it's, it's it's just a shelf company that sits there. Um, so mm-hmm. so th- I'm sure there is ways that they have done it <laughs> yeah, yeah. and can do it if they've shown you to you know, for example, if, if you're in, if you're running a business, um, through say a company, if you as a director have been derelict in some of your duties, uh, they can then use your personal assets to pay for the company's debts, which wouldn't otherwise be doing. So there is ways around it, yeah. but generally yeah. speaking, uh, if you own it in a separate legal entity that's set up correctly, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's separate to you and your debts and liabilities. That's what I was going to say. It, yeah. As long as it's been set up properly and you've, you've followed all of the rules that you needed to, then you should be okay. Um, If they're trying to find a way to recoup the assets that you have in the trust, you've clearly done something pretty bad. So (laughs) your concerns are going to be more worried um, than just the investment properties you have in your trust. But um, but yeah, I think, you know, and obviously putting things in a trust is not going to help you if you're separating or going through a divorce. Like those things will just be, They'll be up for grabs, unfortunately. Mm. So it's not a it's not a cure, it's not a magic bullet, but it definitely does help. It builds in layers of protection. It means that you have options and you have a defense. So that's that's really good. But yeah, a common common example of something that's just done wrong when a trust is set up is you didn't go set up a bank account for the trust right. when you set it up. <laughs> yeah. And and you've got your trustee there, you purchased the property. Um signing the contract as the trustee of the trust, but you never set up a trust bank account. Well, your trust actually doesn't exist in that situation. And and that's what a lawyer would be looking for to try and prove that they could, they can recoup those assets and, yeah, and they'd, potentially they'd, liquidate them. They'd find a way to essentially prove your trust never existed. And you just own that property is <laughs> is probably the more likely way that they'd go about it. Gosh, you got to love lawyers, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> no, I suppose it's interesting, like, because if you own shares in uh, BP and they have an oil spill that sort of um, destroys the planet, um, then they might get sued. But just because you're a shareholder of BHP doesn't mean they're going to take your house um, as part of that. And I guess unless your business is in the distribution of methamphetamine, um, <laughs> you're probably going to be okay. They're not going to. They're not going to yep. push it too far. Yes. Well, well, Definitely. I've learned a lot, and I've also become even more confused but i think in some respects <laughs> that just shows the value in having a trusted advisor like an accountant and don't surprise them at tax time saying surprise i've purchased this property find out what the best entity um is and we heard it from tim first that uh commercial property uh, is a uh, commercial entity is the winner uh, no see people might skip forward and <laughs> listen to that and, and come to cat's accountants to do <laughs> the tax return and say yeah you, you said on the podcast that just uh, that's just a trick for people don't fast forward the thing because I might put some little landmines in um, guys it's a pleasure as always and uh, it's nice to sort of see you virtually and hopefully in person in the, in the next couple of months and, and we'll catch up and maybe talk land tax Thanks, Mike. Look forward to it. Riveting. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Cheers.